This is The Cable. How much retail ownership is in stock? Tech story is front and centre. What will this wind up doing to the cost curve? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. So it feels like a lot of these stocks have already priced that in. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele. Behavioural challenges from the pandemic could linger for years on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Welcome Wednesday, January the 18th, 2023. I'm Guy Johnson. You're listening to The Cable. Uh, I'm alongside Alex Steele, of course, over in New York. We have much to talk about this evening. Uh, We're going to fold in some of the Davos coverage as well. Uh, But Alex, markets today have a lot to digest. Um, You've got the S&P a little softer today. European equities generally fairly flat. The FTSE 100 down by two tenths uh, of 1%. We're going to talk about UK inflation in just a moment. Miners had a good day today, but they were offset at the other end of the FTSE 100 by names like Diageo, food and beverage stocks under a little bit of pressure. But in aggregate, it looks like the stock 600 had another positive session today. The rally broadly across Europe in equities continues. Yeah, I feel like we didn't do you any favors. Um, The stock market was trying to find a direction here. We got retail sales that came in lighter than estimates. Arguably, hey, that's what the Fed wants to see. And equities actually held on to their rally. And you saw selling in the bond market. Then we uh, we got industrial production that was pretty terrible, the worst since February 2021. But we kind of know that. But still, somehow, then all of a sudden, equity has rolled over, the bid in the bond market continues, but now you're seeing the S&P and the NASDAQ fall uh, pretty much straight down. Um, so, interesting to see that. We got job cuts coming from Microsoft, no firing from Bank of America, um, but it's a really mixed reaction here. I, 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 I question the signal that we're getting from the markets today. Yeah, I think it's really unclear. It's really difficult to determine what's happening. I think mm-hmm. we may get some clarity tomorrow uh, from Christine Lagarde. She's going to be speaking in Davos at the World Economic Forum. Jay Powell has got COVID, so I'm assuming he's working from home. He's definitely uh, WFH. WFH. He's definitely WFH. One would hope so, anyway. Uh, Charlie Pellet's here. He's got the headlines. I thank you very much, Guy Johnson. Here's what's going on. Ambulance workers have announced a wave of extra strike dates today as nurses protested on picket lines in the latest dispute over pay levels at the National Health Service. The GMB union said more than 10,000 members across much of England and Wales will walk out on February 6th and 20th and March 6th and 20th. Ambulance workers in the West Midlands will strike on January 23rd and those in the Northwest on January 24th. UK house prices pulled back from their record level in November, adding to evidence that the market may be entering a more protracted downturn. downturn. The Office for National Statistics said the average cost of a home fell to £295,000 in November, down by £1,000 from the month before, but £28,000 more than a year ago. While India may have already surpassed China as the world's most populous nation in a milestone that adds urgency for Prime Minister Narendra Modi to create more jobs and ensure the country sustains its world-beating growth. The South Asian nation's population stood at 1.1, uh, 1.417 billion as of the end of last year, according to estimates from the World Population Review. That is a little over 5 million more than the 1.412 billion reported by China when authorities there announced the first decline since the 1960s. That is the latest from the news desk. I Johnson, back to you now in London. Charlie Pellet, thank you very much indeed.
in New York. Let's talk about what is happening here in London uh, and the UK more broadly. Uh, a series uh, of data releases over the last few days, I would argue, uh, makes the job of the Bank of England uh, increasingly tricky. Uh, today, it came in the form of consumer price inflation. Inflation, uh, certainly front and centre here in the UK right now. The government uh, has pledged pledged, I say, uh, to bring it back down uh, to half what its peak level was. We heard earlier from Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor. There is no room for any deviation from our central objective of the year, which is to halve inflation so that we deal with the anger, for example, of public sector workers. Um, But what we need to do is to bring down inflation so that everyone Uh, whatever job they're doing, and all these jobs are extremely important, can see an end to this very insidious erosion in their pay packets. Today's data didn't exactly signal a rapid decline in inflation. I think we've got a slight decline. The headline number uh, down to 10.5. That's the second month down uh, from a peak that was at a 41-year high. The problem with all of this is that core stayed at 6.3%, basically unchanged. I'm not really falling. And core inflation is kind of the Mm -hmm. bit uh, the central bankers are really going to pay attention to, Alex. So I'm not sure that there may be be some evidence that the headline number is going to come down, but I think the Bank of England's job remains very tricky. Yeah, but also I was going to say, in April, doesn't the the support for higher energy prices wear off? And if energy prices stay relatively high, then that's going to wind up hurting spending even more. I mean, I just wonder, like, the after effect of that. Yeah, that's going to be a factor. Energy prices have come down a lot, so this could have been a lot worse. And certainly for British businesses, it could have been a lot worse. You also have to to bear in mind what's happening with the the labour market data at the moment. We saw the wage data yesterday. Wages are, particularly in the private sector, running at a very elevated level right mm-hmm. now. Um, they're north of Corb, they're below headline, but that paints a picture uh, of a labour market that is still very tight and that poses further problems for the Bank of England. Um, let's bring in Bloomberg's UK economy team leader, Reid Landberg. First of all, let's talk about the, t- talk about the data today. The, the headline number is coming down, but it's still elevated, but it's that core number that I think is going to frighten a lot of people. Yeah, this is the second tick down that we've had in a couple of months. So, you know, we're not nearly in the situation that the U.S. is in, where the peak was very clearly early last year. Uh, and even the Eurozone, uh, Germany's inflation rate is coming down more sharply than in the, U- in the U.K. Uh, you've got Catherine Mann out there pointing out very persistent measures of inflation turning up in domestic areas. So, you know, you can't just blame Ukraine and high gas prices yep. anymore. It's sort of seeped mm-hmm. into everything. And you're right to point out that co- core number. It's concerning. So you mentioned Catherine Mann. But so what does this mean for the BOE? Because it felt like the direction of travel might have been at 25. And now it feels like, nah, it definitely kind of has to be 50. Well, so before the December rate decision, it was odds on for a 50 basis point of hike in February. And then there was a little flutter earlier this month where investors sort of paired bets on a 50 basis point. They were thinking, maybe we go for 25. We're back to almost fully pricing in a 50 basis point hike. Are we, are we though, nearing the end of the cycle? 
Other central banks are kind of almost signalling that, that, that that's the kind of where we are now. There was a trial balloon floated yesterday on the Bloomberg terminal by the ECB talking about a pivot down to, to 25. The, the, the Fed's signalling very clearly that 25 is now the preferred option. They're, they're into the kind of finessing at the end of the tightening cycle. Yeah, and the Fed is in a different position because you do have inflation that's weakening over there and you don't have exposure in the U.S. to international gas prices the way the U.K. does. So here, people are beginning to talk about the tapering down of interest rate hikes, but nobody is talking about rate cuts. Mm-hmm. Of you know, In the U.S., there's a big group of people speculating, we're going to have a rate cut pretty soon, that of, they'll have to reverse some of what they've done. But that's not the case here. In fact, investors have walked back some of the bets that rates would be cut by the end of this year. Uh, those are no longer on the table. Well, what's the unity factor in the BOE right now? Unity factor? Yeah. Do yeah. they all agree? Is there a lot of splits? Oh, sorry. Um, there is a split. You know, you have the majority going for moderate rate rises. Catherine Mann is hawkish. She, she supported 75 basis points last time when the rest of the bank went for 50. And then you've got two, Swati Dingra and Tenrero, uh, Silviana Tenrero, pushing for no change. They're worried about the health of the economy, uh, concerned about where consumers are at the moment. Absolutely. I I think it's going to be a fascinating next meeting. Uh, There's a whole series of meetings coming up, central banks around Europe, around the world, uh, at the beginning of next month, which I think are going to be absolutely fascinating to watch. Christine Lagarde uh, is going to be speaking tomorrow at the World Economic Forum in Davos. Reid, thank you very much indeed, as ever, uh, for updating us. Uh, Up next, we're going to take you back to Davos. Get the latest from there. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable, Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson is over in London. Um, How the markets versus how the economy performs is shaping up to be quite interesting. The economy obviously feels to be rolling over, but then equities uh, keep getting this bid. The market keeps telling us that maybe we're early cycle uh, versus maybe late cycle when it comes to the actual economy. So no place is it better to discuss this than in Davos. And Francine Locke spoke down, sat down with Standard Chartered CEO Bill Winters, and they started off by discussing the business and how the bank fared during the pandemic. The thing with Standard Chartered is we're actually doing very well uh, all by ourselves. Yeah. So it's been a, it's been a bit of a journey to, to get our, our bank to where we want it okay. to be. COVID was a was a pretty material distraction uh, for the business. Obviously, it was a huge distraction for the world. And uh, but everything is on track for us. You know, we, we had super strong income growth last year. We had uh, you know, very manageable credit costs. Yeah. We've been returning capital to shareholders. But well, consolidation is in play, right? Is it that should, is that at the back be. of the mind? It should be uh, on how you run the bank or not? No, it's not. Uh, we're, we're running the bank to maximize value you know, for, for a lot of reasons. One is that's the only way to, to run a business. But the second is it's really hard to buy a bank. Right? It's, it, there's, especially a bank like us. A lot of regulatory approvals required. Uh, it's quite complicated. But the uh, uh, but thematically, there should be an element of consolidation. But you know, I mean, banks uh, are a uh, are a, a, a let's call it a protected species well, yeah. by regulators, <laughs> and uh, and consolidation is hard. So, if you think that actually now is the right time to, to do some kind of consolidation, what's holding it back? Is it regulators or is it just the appetite? Valuations are cheap. 
Some valuations are cheap. So I mean, I think it's quite logical that the banks in locations that are trading at, at you know, a multiple of book value would be interested in consolidating with banks that are trading at a discounted book value. Yeah. So yeah. European banks are broadly trading at or below book value. Middle Eastern banks are trading at a significant premium to book value. So just from a financial math perspective, yeah, everybody should be looking at this and saying, oh yeah, yeah if you, you know, go back to the classroom and do the, the, yeah. the combination and then cost energies and whatever, uh, you make some money. Uh, but unfortunately, it's not that straightforward. What's your take on China reopening? How how smoothly is it going to go? What does it mean for business? Look, it's obviously been very sudden, and the the impact has been dramatic in the short term. Uh, but it, country seems to be managing. Uh, the, uh, the the health system is highly stressed for sure, but but isn't overrun. You know, we've had virtually all of our colleagues, uh, my colleagues, have been infected in the last two months. I mean, 90 percent or something like that. Uh, they've all recovered. So touching wood, and, and very grateful for that. And uh, and they're fully back to business. So I think this is. I think we're really looking forward to a, a, a good renaissance in China, uh, not just in the second half, but even in the second quarter. So what does that mean, first of all, you know, for the world economy, and therefore for some of you know the IPOs or some of the deals that you have in the pipeline? I think it means uh, a, a, a a gradual working out of the supply chain uh, constraints. That we've had. So we know that a lot of things have contributed to yeah. the supply chain uh, problems, including geopolitical tensions and, and, and the like. Uh, but China's manufacturing challenges were, were part of that. That that eases, which I think will be a, a good thing for the, the disinflationary impulse as well, uh, which is obviously gathering a little bit of steam. Now, we'll have a separate discussion on inflation. I don't think we've quite beat it yet. Yeah. Uh, so there's some more interest rate hikes to go. But China uh, will be, there will be a big demand pull uh, for yeah. China. So there's pent up consumer demand. They'll re-engage in international travel, you know, probably more in the second half of the year. Uh, and this is going to be a good boost for the for the global economy at a time when the U.S. and Europe are probably going to slow down. Are you surprised? I mean, there's a lot of leverage. There has been a lot of leverage for a long time in the system, and interest rates have moved up quite aggressively in the last 12 months, and we haven't really seen, you know, e either big bankruptcies or yeah. zombie companies. You know, as, as I reflect on this, uh, I know what you mean by a lot of leverage because aggregate debt levels have gone up a lot, yes. but it's really very concentrated in governments and uh, the. The corporate sector is actually in, in very good shape, and the financial sector is in extremely good shape. Yeah. So, so banks have probably never been as strong yeah. as they are right now. And uh, this is the reminder that, that, that you know, the credit cycle never dies. But when, when you have a downturn in the credit cycle yeah. and the banking system is strong, you ride through it. And when you have a downturn in the credit cycle, like we did in 2007, and the banking system is weak, yeah. it, it's exponential in terms of impact. Yeah. So I'm actually very optimistic that, that we can ride through this. Of course, it's difficult. I mean, yeah. Cost of living was very difficult. Uh, the, the inevitable slowdown in the US US in Europe already happening is very difficult, but we'll get through it. Uh, that was Bill Winters, the CEO of Standard Chartered, talking to Francine a little bit earlier on. They were talking about what was happening in China right now. Uh, Bill painting a positive picture. Uh, it was interesting, we had Burberry and Richemont out with numbers today, both flagging a hit from the kind of the end of COVID zero, uh, but the market very much looking through that. Uh, both stocks up quite sharply today. Burberry at a 52 week high. More on that next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio. Let me give you some numbers. 52-week highs today for the following stocks. Burberry, Christian Dior, LVMH, MS, Swatch Group. You've also got Ferrari making a fresh 52-week high as well. The luxury sector is absolutely flying and has been since the start of the year. Clearly one of the major catalysts for this 
has been China, but it's not just China. Today, we had uh, Richemont out, uh, the hard luxury stock, and Burberry, uh, the, the British uh, check maker. Let's call it that. Both out basically saying that short term, China has been a little bit of a headwind. The reopening has been a bumpy ride. But talking then about what comes next. And Burberry's chief financial officer, Julie Brown, talking about a, quote, very promising signs, very promising signs uh, coming in January. Well, let's talk more about what is happening with these two stocks. Let's talk broadly, more broadly about what's happening uh, with the luxury space. We're joined by Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Luxury Goods Analyst Deborah Aiken. Deborah, you've been on calls with both of these two companies this afternoon. Yes, China bumpy in the short term, but what is happening now is incredibly positive. So, um, yeah, if we look at the, um, the both reports to fiscal Q3, yeah. um, and both disappointed in their absolute or comparable sales growth, which came through because China was hard hitting in Q3, yep. fiscal Q3 to December. But since then, we know we've got reopening. And what's happening in the first two to three weeks is that Chinese are returning to stores. Basket sizes are higher. Um, if we look versus the same period going into Q1, calendar Q1, we had growth in China last year in January, February, and we had a slowdown in March, but overall a growth in the quarter. Mm-hmm. And already in the two to three weeks that we're seeing through January, we've got growth year on year. So growth against Amazing. growth, which is a big positive. And then from the other side, we're starting to also see Chinese have the... Um, the confidence to travel again. So mm-hmm. we're seeing we're seeing movement into Hong Kong and Macau, as commented upon by Burberry, where numbers are stronger in store. Deborah, how much of this though is baked in? I mean, I literally feel like I've heard guys say fifty-two week high for these names for like the last three months. Like at some point, have we already priced in enough? How do you how do you look at it? So yeah, I, w- I was asked, you know. Are we there on valuation? Is this peak valuation? Where are we? We were at the valuation where we were historically pre-COVID. But if you look at the numbers across Europe, across Middle East, um, in America's also, these sectors are 20% higher. And if we think about China as was, they were 35% of the luxury market. They're now around 20%. And that all has to come back. So what we're saying from our side is there's a re-rating needed. And we're also finding that we're, we're seeing no profitability crunch here. Gross margins are intact. Pricing is being passed through, yeah. relatively price inelastic, and that's region through the ops. I, I think you're making Alex jealous here because she has set herself a I New know. Year budget. Well, she's not out. She's not allowed to go and spend. I was never going to go buy luxury. <laughs> that's not my style. I'm the sale girl. It's totally okay. different. Just but saying. but I, I would imagine there's not much of that to be knocking around. Not knocking around in this space. True. Um, but but what we're seeing in the United States is credit card spending ramping up quite sharply um, and the consumer beginning to re-gear. You would have thought that there'd be some evidence maybe of a slowdown in the United States. Why why is that not happening? Not yet. I think that, um, just as Alex is saying about some of the sales there, there are some brands uh, where we've seen maybe some heightened inventory and what we would call the aspirational brands, the coaches and the Michael Kors and others. So we're seeing some sales come through there, even though they are better managed and have much better levels of inventory. But higher up the pyramid, higher up the luxury pyramid, we're not seeing that. We're not seeing those yep. spenders using credit card to spend. And if they are, they're just being much more... Uh, pinpointed in what they're buying, and these products make them feel better. 
It, it's true. Shopping does make you feel better. <laughs> These are all very true statements. Um, when, when we take a look at the at, at the spending that's going to come out of China, though, it, are we modeling like the revenge spend that we saw from the West? Like, is that what we're going to be looking at? I don't think we do that yet. Um, what we are doing, we, we can see there's pent up demand. Um, there will also have been for some, for the for the lucky some, there will have been some savings building. Um, but we have to remember for others that there's been job insecurity, uncertainty, a high level of sickness. So we will mm-hmm. take it slowly. But certainly for those who are out shopping, they're there to shop and they're there to spend. And that is already coming through. The other thing that we have, which will be really interesting. So this weekend we head into Chinese New Year. Yep. Um, we'll be seeing what happens there and we'll be then comparing where we are first, second of Feb, which was when Chinese year for, uh, New Year fell last year against. So the whole of January into the beginning of February, that will give us a clearer indication of like for like. Are you surprised that Europe's holding up as well? I am. I am. However, it's been in the making for several years. and um, Part of that is um, just generally that the European consumer is richer more of the middle class moving in. We only had about a 2% fallout from Russia at the beginning of last year. Um, And aside from that, it's just about the better infrastructure that's in place across the luxury industry, part of which came from the necessity to be more flexible um, through COVID. And the way that they've moved online more, the way that they're uh, really answering and opening up and attracting a younger consumer who is less price sensitive. And so many collaborations, adding price points and value points at the high and the mid end. So it's all feeding through very positively across most sectors. If you look at the sectors and also what's expected for LVMH, for example, next week, we're looking across all of their sectors because they're the biggest, the widest, 17 to 25 percent sales growth for the full year 22. Do we have an idea of what the excess savings looks like, Europe, China, US, how it all plays in? I don't have the detail um, from from any of these companies. And for Europe, for the US, I would say that's that's mostly in the pot from the last couple of years. Um, for China, I don't have the savings number. It'd be interesting to work on it. Um, but certainly we know that there are some savings there. We're hearing that from other sectors. January the 26th, fully results from LVMH. I just had to double check that on the... Uh the investor relations. It'll be that'll be a big day. Deborah, great stuff. Thank you very much indeed. Deborah Aitken uh, joining us on what's happening with the luxury sector. As Alex says, 52-week highs, day after day after day at yeah. the moment, and they don't seem to want to stop. Um, up next, take you back to the markets and also back to Davos. This is Bloomberg. This is the Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson is over in London. So we're, we're actually looking at a pretty solid sell-off right now. S&P is down by a full 1 percentage point. The Dow is also off by 1.2. Um, you're still looking at a bit into the bond market, materials, consumer discretionary tech holding up the best in the S&P, but they're still all down a solid uh, half a percent. It feels like there's a couple things. Um, 
We did get some weak data. Okay, but I guess we want to see weak data. Retail sales falling, industrial production falling. But you also had James Bullard talking uh, again with his hawkish stance. Get to 5% as fast as you can. He's also highlighting the fact that core inflation hasn't yet moderated as much as the markets are suggesting. So the markets are pricing in a more aggressive decline of inflation that he sees if he looks just at core. And they definitely want to be avoiding the 1970s replay and lean and err more on the high side of rates. Also, because I'm a nerd, 200-day moving average, technical level. We have failed that level. S&P broke below it, so a little bit of follow-through selling, not necessarily out of the realm of possibility. Uh, that's a snapshot of the U.S. Here is Charlie Pellet. Hi, thank you very much, Alex Steele. Here's what's going on. U.K. inflation dipped for a second month in December, boosting hopes that the worst cost-of-living crisis in a generation may be starting to ease. The Office for National Statistics said consumer prices rose 10.5% from a year earlier, but that is slower than the 10.7% gain in November and a peak above 11% in October when domestic energy bills surged. Snow and ice warnings are in place for western parts of the UK as below average temperatures are set to continue into the end of the week. A level 3 cold weather alert meeting conditions could cause health risks to vulnerable patients and disrupt services is in place for all of England until 9 a.m. on Friday. Officials at the Met Office say more weather warnings are likely to be issued over the next few days. So what do you do when the temperature drops in the UK? You go abroad, of course. British holidaymakers seeking a winter getaway have been hit, though, by the fastest increase in airfares since records began, as airlines warn passengers of an end to budget travel. Official data showed airfares jumped 44% compared with the year earlier as carriers report strong demand for flights despite the cost-of-living crunch squeezing UK households. That is the latest from the news desk. Alex Steele, back to you now here in New York. Okay, definitely not going to buy my tickets to Europe now. I'm going to wait a little bit there. Yeah, so, uh, makes sense, all, without a very doubt. positive news, I thought, from Charlie. Yeah, yeah, he does that. Um Okay, so that's a snapshot of kind of where we are in the world, which leads me to Davos, where all the business leaders are in the world. Um, David Weston sat down with Blackstone CEO Steve Schwartzman. You always love hearing what he has to say. Uh, and he, They started off talking about the economy, what's going on in the U.S., as well uh, as, the, as the global economies. Well, I think in the United States, you know, we're obviously fighting higher interest rates, but we're doing it from the perspective of an economy that's in quite good shape. Uh, one of the reasons for that is an outcome of the pandemic. And, and during the pandemic, people stayed at home. Uh, what, what every country's government didn't figure out is the 90% uh, who kept being employed uh, would end up having way more money uh, after the pandemic uh, because their cost structure uh, collapsed. Uh, they didn't go to movies, they didn't leave their homes, they didn't travel, uh, they didn't buy expensive clothes. And that $2.5 trillion of extra money was in the banking system, uh, and they've been spending that money. And that's been keeping the economy performing better than people expected. They've spent about half of it. Whether they spend the rest of it, whether they save it, but that's an extra stimulus, uh, if you will, uh, that's kept the U.S. economy uh, moving ahead pretty well. The Fed, of course, uh, is trying to do something with inflation. Uh, and they have to uh, 
assuming they really want to get it all the way down uh, to 2%. Uh, so, so they've been very aggressive uh, moving, and the question is, how much effect does that have? Uh, we're starting to see uh, the economy slow down a little, um, uh, and particularly uh, in interest-sensitive areas. One would think it would have had more impact, uh, but it hasn't yet. And the reason we've developed almost a, a two-part economy, uh, interest-sensitive areas um, like housing, uh, where new house construction is down 19%. Usually in a recession, it goes down 35%. So you can see how far we are uh, away from the bottom. Uh, it's affected Wall Street uh, and markets, uh, because when you raise interest rates, uh, very high from a percentage of where you started, it'll have adverse incomes. And there are other parts of the economy uh, that, that frankly are still extremely strong that raising interest rates hasn't affected yet. Stuff like travel, airlines just can't even cope with the volumes. Uh, resort hotels, People after the pandemic were so grateful that nothing worse happened to them, that they just want to celebrate and live life. And anything that touches that kind of personal consumption uh, is doing extremely well, not really affected very much so by the Fed. How does this affect the Blackstone uh, outlook? I mean, you have an awful lot of money that you need to put at work and keep at work and get returns on. Uh, how does a slowing growth pattern and higher rates inform your investments? For example, I know you're very big in real estate. Well, we saw this coming, actually, and started talking publicly about 18 months ago, way before the Fed, about high levels of inflation, because we could see it in our portfolio companies. And what we did is we tried to change what we do to adapt to what we were pretty certain was going to happen in the future. So for example, uh, in terms of an investment area, uh, in the credit space, um, we, we switched all of our investments to floating rate. So we're on the side of the Fed. As they keep raising rates, our customers keep making more and more money. Uh, and they can get up into double digits now with senior secured loans. That's what people used to earn for equities. Uh, and it's pretty easy to do that now. In real estate, we've concentrated in basically the only two areas that aren't being adversely affected. Uh, real estate's an industry with at least six different sub-areas. If you're in office buildings, particularly in the United States, that is an area under enormous stress. 20% vacancies, but that doesn't even count the people who, who aren't going to work. So that's, that's a, an area that is facing real headwinds. Uh, and shopping malls, uh, not so wonderful uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, basically with home shopping. Uh, housing, houses are going down now, okay, in, in value because mortgage costs have doubled for regular people. Steve Schwarzman, 
Talking to Bluebirds David Weston a little earlier at the World Economic Forum in Davos. Uh, I tell you what, the housing market uh, is interesting. I think the office market is even more interesting. Uh, today we've had uh, Microsoft out announcing more layoffs, 10,000 to go at Microsoft. It's going to be consolidating its footprint. That is a story that's going to develop throughout this year. One area we've not spoken much about at Davos is COVID. We're going to fix that next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable, Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson is over in London. So, Guy, I'm coming up on my one-year anniversary of when I got hit with COVID that first time. And I was out for about four months struggling with long COVID, which I still have to manage on a day-to-day basis. And I was up to all my va- up to date on all my vaccines, etc. So I'm very excited to pass this mark. But it does beg the question... The longer-term effects that COVID has had on society and going forward, what kind of shots are we going to have to receive? Do we want Here we got hit with the flu, RSV, and COVID kind of all at once right before the holidays. And we're kind of looking to the drug makers like a Moderna and a Pfizer to help us solve this problem. So that was a great launching off point for uh, David Weston speaking with Albert Borla, the CEO and chairman of Pfizer. And they talked about the mRNA flu shot that could come this year. Every time there's a variation, we have a standard process that we isolate the virus. We try to see if the virus, the variant escapes the protection for a vaccine. If we have suspicion that it might, we start working like if we are going to make a vaccine. Many of these variants disappear, mm-hmm. so they are not an issue anyway. But if some start growing, then we are not losing time because we have already prepared those steps. And, and but you haven't found one yet to get around, to get you around know, the vaccine? You know, always we find and we discuss the, the, the data with authorities. But the ones that will make this decision is not Pfizer or Moderna or any manufacturer. It is CDC and FDA. It is uh, the European authorities. It is the Israeli authorities. It is the health authorities of any country that will ask, we, based on the data, we want you to make this vaccine as a new what about the duration of the vaccine? I mean, I've gotten, I think, two or three boosters now after the initial vaccine. Yeah. It lasts a while. Are we going to have to get it every year, or are you developing something that might actually last longer? Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't last the current ones, and also doesn't last the disease. For example, if you get disease, you can get disease again after three months with the same even variant, not even absent a change of the variant. That's why it's very difficult for this virus to eradicate. I don't think it will. Uh, but uh, we are working to see if we can get an annual vaccine. An annual vaccine will be ideal because people will remember they can do it with other vaccinations like flu and can, can last. Okay, flu, you raised it. Yes. Where are you in developing? Because I know, I think that's what you originally were doing with BioNTech. You were yes. developing mRNA for flu. Where yes. are you on a flu vaccine based on mRNA? Oh, the studies are running. They have completely recruited. We are waiting for cases as they accumulate. It means that people have been vaccinated placebo, vaccine, and then the disease, some of them will get disease. And then we are waiting to unblind the data to see what is coming. I think will come in the, this year, in 23. Well, that's what I was going to ask. I mean, you can't guarantee a timeline, depending on the clinical trials. No, but, because but you... your best guess, what would you think? Uh, I think uh, by the first half of the year, maybe. First half of the year? Yeah, June, July. Wow. And, and so are, how far are we away from one vaccine that's both COVID and flu together? First, we need to have a flu. And uh, if we have a flu, already we started uh, uh, experiments to combine the two uh, so that we don't lose time again. Uh, I think we'll come more or less all together if it is successful. 
Oh, Baller, the CEO of Pfizer, speaking to Bloomberg's David Weston at the World Economic Forum in Davos. Uh, it, it was interesting. It's been interesting, Alex, that actually COVID hasn't be, been that big a feature of this year's World Economic Forum. But in some ways, it's casting a huge shadow. The China reopening story is probably the biggest economic story of the year thus far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they're doing it at the moment without the vaccines that the West has relied on. Well, it feels like how China goes is how if you can position your portfolio for how China reopens well, you will have made your year. That and the BOJ. Like, I feel like those two things it w- would make your p and um, But in terms of how China reopens, they also don't necessarily have as much of the therapeutics nope. that the Western countries eventually had. So you have not the infrastructure to roll out a huge vaccination attempt, even though they may try, but also not the therapeutics at the same time. So what does that mean? Is it bumpier? Does it take longer? Is it totally different than what we saw in the West? I have no idea. No, and nobody does. And that's what's making this so challenging at the moment. Um, I think a lot of people have already been caught on the hop by the fact that China has done it in such an accelerated way. Um, I don't think we fully yet understand the implications and ramifications of that. If you talk to Airfinity, the modelling group, they still talk of big spikes still to come in terms of the case count that that China is going to see. So as you say, this is not going to be an easy exit for China. Um, what should we do next? Christine Lagarde of the ECB is going to speak, I think, three times in Davos tomorrow. We should preview that. That's next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Let me remind you of the words uh, of President Lagarde at her last press conference in December. We should expect to raise rates at a pace of 50 basis points for a period of time. Well, these words are still valid today. But again, we are pragmatic. Governor, speaking earlier at the World Economic Forum in Davos to Bloomberg's Francine Lacroix, basically pushing back on a story that was written by Jana Randau and her team here at Bloomberg yesterday, suggesting that after the next 50 basis point hike that we are likely to get from the ECB, there could be a downshift to 25 basis points. Um, I would say the story that Jana wrote got a bigger response than the response from the Bank of France governor. But tomorrow we're going to hear from Christine Lagarde. The, um, the, the president of the ECB is going to be speaking, I think, three times. I could be wrong about that. Certainly twice at the World Economic Forum in Davos. Jana Randa joins us now, Bloomberg's ECB editor. Jana, what kind of clarity should we expect from Christine Lagarde tomorrow? The president will probably just repeat what she said in December and which uh, what we heard from uh, François Villaroy de Gallo um, earlier today. That um, and that that's the crucial word. As of today, um, they are reiterating their forward guidance, which is 50 basis points in February and probably another, or possibly the president said in December, possibly also in March. But uh, and here's a big but. Um, things have changed since that pledge was made. Um, we've seen a faster-than-expected slowdown in inflation. Natural gas prices have plummeted. The euro has strengthened. And all that is essentially good news for the inflation outlook. And the ECB has always said we are pragmatic, we are data-dependent, and when the data changes, then we change our path of, or our policy path uh, potentially. Uh, the ECB is getting updated forecasts in March. 
that's why for February there is not much doubt that they will um, mm-hmm. stick to what they what they promised. But March is an entirely different story from today's perspective. The words stand, but come March, um, the right. situation may be a different one. So it's a question of timing, then, in essence. Um, I guess the question is then, how quickly do they need to get to the terminal rate, and then how long do they get there? I feel like. The words surrounding that, like as soon as possible or or quickly, like they make a difference. What do we know yet so far about that? Um, I mean, it's always relatively easy to to predict what's going to happen at the next meeting. The further into the future we go, the more uncertain the outlook gets. And that's still very much the case, um, given the economic um, surroundings we are in. Um, we uh, can probably assume that the terminal rate will be reached sometime in the middle of the year. Um, the, uh, the French governor, François Villarogalo, was the first out of the box to say that, and a lot of uh, his colleagues have agreed since. Um, whether, um, you know, where, where that terminal rate is uh, will depend, uh, you know, to no small uh, extent on how the economy develops. Now, we've seen uh, Germany doing uh, much better uh, than expected at the end of last year. Um, We are seeing economists upgrade their forecasts. Uh, If that stays, um, then certainly, um, you know, the terminal rate will be a different one than uh, than in a different scenario. So that, um, the terminal rate, the the level itself is probably still, you know, up for debate. Yeah, what I'm trying to work out as well, is whether or not lower lower gas prices, lower natural gas prices, lower energy prices are good news or bad news for the ECB on the inflation fight. And hear me out on this one. Yes, they will bring headline inflation lower, but presumably there is the danger that these lower gas prices also put money back into people's pockets, which they're then going to spend on the stickier areas of the economy, particularly in services. How are they going to balance that? Absolutely. That's a concern that's been around for a while and that also um, comes up and then is debated in the context of um, government relief measures, right? Um, the fiscal support we've seen uh, with governments capping the price or, or taking over or, or you know, uh, yeah, uh, whole, whole payments. Uh, and that is a very valid concern. Um, policymakers already expect core inflation to be a lot stickier than headline, for example. Um, but, but also... Um, also, uh, yeah, the wages will play will play a big role there, and uh, we're not seeing the kind of dangerous wage increases that um, that you know would get the ECB concerned. So yes, inflation is going to be sticky. A whole lot of other structural factors playing along there with climate change concerns, uh, the transition to a greener economy, um, the aging of society. Um, so there, there is a lot of debate at the moment of whether inflation will get back to 2%, whether mm-hmm. it will be slightly above for a period of time. Policymakers, of course, are trying to be credible, are saying 2% is our target. But let's face it, um, that 2% we're not going to see for a very long time. Right. Or that 2% becomes 3 maybe 35 Um So, Jana, when you're listening to Christine Lagarde speak tomorrow, what are you expecting? What are the key buzzwords? What do we have to be thinking about? Certainly. I mean, what I will be looking or uh, listening out for very, very carefully is any change in the way she describes the economy and the inflation outlook, because that will ultimately tell us how they will revise their forecast potentially and how how the um, the rate path after February um, will proceed. Um, another thing uh, that is very interesting is the debate around QT. 
quantitative tightening. The ECB said at its last meeting that uh, in March they will start to roll off bonds from their um, largest bond purchase portfolio. Uh, we know uh, quite a few details already. Um, uh, you know, a few more are still um, left to discuss for the governing council. Um, and and so anything she says on that will be will be really interesting. But but mainly it's just about the outlook for the economy. Yana, great work as ever. We've really enjoyed the coverage over the last couple of days. Uh, the, the response to yesterday's story, uh, a real testimony to the work that you guys are doing in that team. Yana Randall, thank you very much indeed. Bloomberg's ECB editor. Um, Alex, tomorrow kind of is, is a little bit of a wrap-up day. I, I think kind of we're, we're beginning to taper Davos tomorrow. Let's call it, let's call it that. Um, so we're winding down a little bit, but some great coverage still coming up. Yeah, we get uh, Brian, Brian Moynihan. He's going to be yep. on our show uh, tomorrow. Also, uh, James Gorman uh, earlier in the day. So, you know, we get a couple heavy hitters uh, as we definitely wind it down. Um, and we're also getting into more earnings season next week. I realize it's next week, but luxury, you got Netflix, all of that to look forward to. This is Bloomberg.